Hi, Bloomers. It's Wendy, and you're listening to Bloom with Flores. In today's episode, we have the privilege of sitting down with Miriam, a remarkable woman whose unwavering strength and love have guided her family through the intricate journey of her son's kidney transplant. Join us as she opens up her heart to share the poignant details of their experience, from the initial diagnosis to the triumphs and the tribulations of life's post-transplant. Through her candid reflections, Miriam provides not only a deeply personal account of the transplant process, but also imparts wisdom and inspiration for others navigating similar paths. Get ready to be moved and enlightened. Hi, Miriam. I want to express my sincere gratitude for joining me on my podcast today. It's a genuine honor to have you here, and I deeply appreciate you taking the time to speak on the transplant journey involving your son. Additionally, you will contribute your expertise and knowledge as a nurse. Thank you for joining me as we delve into this difficult but important conversation. Feel free to introduce yourself. Thank you for having me, Wendy. My name is Miriam. Miriam, let's revisit the very beginning. How old was your son when you first noticed something was concerning? So we actually found out um, during my pregnancy that we were probably going to be dealing with some medical issues. Um, we didn't necessarily know the extent of um, what was to come, but we knew that there was sort of some kidney involvement at the time. Um, and we're kind of working through that uh, throughout the pregnancy and and after. And during that time, how did it make you feel? It was a really difficult thing to hear for sure. Um, you know, this was my third pregnancy. And so you're uh, used to just kind of the steps that that come along with uh with a pregnancy and and then this time all of a sudden it was like oh we saw something in the ultrasound and we're not really sure what it is it's probably nothing but we just need to do some more testing and and try and figure out um what's going on and so that was the beginning of the trajectory that we took through the rest of the pregnancy um you know we had a huge question mark from for the rest of it pretty much until until he was born. Um, and things really began at that point in time. Right. So once he was born, um, what exactly happened? You were at the hospital and, and was it an immediate thing or? Yeah. So just, um, just before he was born, um, we had, we had met with some of the specialists at SickKids to sort of prepare us for what was potentially waiting for us on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were pretty ready um, at, at the time of de delivery because we, they kind of walked us through what those steps would look like. So, so he was, once he was born, he was taken right away and basically moved to the NICU and transferred over to SickKids within a few hours of, of delivery. Um, and testing began at that point in time. And we were able to confirm that in fact, he had um, kidney failure. Um, and so as a result of of his condition, his underlying condition, his kidneys hadn't developed the way they should have during pregnancy. And so um, it took a few days for us to sort of watch and see where he was going to go and how he was going to respond. And, you know, now that he was uh, out and I think it was about 
uh, two to three weeks after he was born that the doctor, it was a Sunday afternoon and I was there visiting with him and he basically came and he told me, um, it's not looking good. And so um, he's really young to start dialysis or to do sort of have any intervention at this point in time. So the recommendation on, you know, that I'm giving you is that you just take him home and enjoy him for as long as you can. That was what I was told. And so it was not what I was expecting on, you know, that day. <laughs> and so he was discharged and discharged all of a sudden um, home with, I think it was about three or four um bags of, of medication to just mm -hmm. get him through the week until they saw him the following week. And we were just going to sort of take it week by week. Um, at that point, uh, he, he started to pull through on his own and, um, and they were a little surprised to see his numbers, you know, his blood work and stuff like that, slightly improving. And, and he was growing a little bit, it was slow, but there was, there was movement in the right direction. So when we made it to three months, they were like, okay, I think it's time for us to start rethinking the plan because he obviously is not doing what we thought he was going to do. Right. And um, so at that point is actually when we started to discuss uh, transplantation. Um, and at that point, the recommendation was to wait as long as we possibly could because the younger they're transplanted, uh, the more complications there are in the long run. Right. So as a family, it must be really challenging. Um, did you all come together and decide what was best for him? So it was very hard. However, I think because we were going into this prepared on some level, having already met with the doctors and having done a lot of research already on, you know, uh, kidney disease and what sort of the potential looked like, and especially in children, we, we sort of knew what our options were. And we thankfully, you know, of all of the organs, the, the luckiest one, I should say, is to have a kidney, because at least there's a dialysis option to sort of keep um, that individual alive mm -hmm. um, until a transplant is, it comes available or until a kidney is available for transplantation. So um, we knew that that was probably the path that we were going to end up taking. It was more of a matter of when and how and who um, that was really the questions that needed to be answered. So these are all really difficult decisions um, before the age of one, right? Yes. Yes. Um, when did the surgery uh, take place? He, in fact, started dialysis um, at around nine months. We were able to prolong um, preparation, actually, for dialysis and then transplantation. Um, they were advising if we could wait until he was at least two or three, or at least push it that far, then we were in a much better place. Um, so at about nine months, we began the process to prepare him for dialysis. So he was on dialysis until uh, two and a half when he had his transplant. Uh, his first transplant was at two and a half years old. Okay. And so preparing um, for the dialysis and then the transplant, um, that must have changed your daily life. What did it look like? Yeah, it was a huge change. I mean, I, I would say... Uh, having a, a sick child, um, regardless of what that illness is, changes your life. It changes so many things in your life. It changes 
uh, you know, your routine, it changes your perspective, it changes your priorities. Like it, it just, it, it is sort of the new way of doing things. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and I had two younger kids at home, older, I should say than him, but um, they were still young. So it's re reconfiguring your your day-to-day -day routine as well to sort of accommodate all these new things as well. Um, and it, it took some, it took some willpower, of course, and, and some great support to be able to get through that difficult period of time, because you had to lean on, on others and you had to lean on the supports that were there. Yeah. Um, and of course, di dialysis, we had to go through, we went through two types of dialysis. So at that time, um, it's not as common anymore, but it's a type of dialysis called peritoneal dialysis, and it's a little less invasive, and it's something that can be done at home. Um, and so that was the initial type of dialysis that we uh, we went through. So we were trained. It was a rigorous training, of course, in preparation to be able to do that. Um, and so he did. He was on that type of dialysis for about six or six to eight months. Um, but it wasn't working out for him. He was just getting too many infections and and it just was complicating things more than than we needed. So he was switched uh, to hemodialysis, which then made us um, have to go into to the city to sick kids for three times a week um, to be able to have his treatment. So for sure, that was a, a huge um, adjustment. So as he was growing older, how did you explain to him what he was going through? So I think in in our case, because it was what he knew from day one, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, I made a mental decision that it was really important that he learned to live with this as his norm and, and to try and not single him out from anyone else or or the other kids so I tried to normalize it as much as possible by keeping him as involved as possible and as educated as possible um, and again because he spent so much time in the hospital as well and because having other kids and it wasn't necessarily close to home there were times where he was in the hospital alone so I never wanted him to feel that he didn't know what was happening. So he was very um, well informed. And I used to get that that all the time from from staff at the hospital that he just knows so much. And, you know, we don't usually see kids at two and two years old that can tell us everything about, you know, uh, their condition or, you know, what these tubes are for, what this medication is. But I tried to do that for him so so that he would feel empowered and have the ability to be independent one day as this with this as part of who he is. Right. And what were some of the challenges with the transplant, Miriam? Um, so there is, you know, especially as a young child, um, you know, there's a lot of restrictions. Um, and so I guess the first thing is, in his case, was um, he had a lot of different um, tubes and different things right from the get-go. So he had a feeding tube. He had, you know, um, he, catheterizations. He had oh, uh, he had a central line um, to be able to do his dialysis. So multiple things can't get wet. So mm -hmm. right off the bat, he 
had never been exposed to water like most kids would. So he had never bathed or showered like most kids had. So his first time actually immersing himself in water wasn't until he was about three and a half when they removed, started removing everything after his transplant, because there was a bit of a, a waiting period after the transplant for all these things to be removed. So that was, that's one, you know, thing or complication that, um, that we were dealing with was, you know, the, the cleanliness of keeping him safe, mm -hmm. but at the same time, being able to be a kid, right. And still being able to run around in the park, but not pull your central line or, you know, being able to hang a feeding tube at the park or to be able to go to the mall. So, so everything had to be sort of pre-planned and, and prepared, um, beforehand. Um, and so with the transplant, we had a lot of complications. Um, I was his donor for his first, uh, transplant and he had a huge, um, rejection episode pretty much immediately after the transplant. So that can go, it could actually, um, involve them needing to remove the kidney and it not being accepted like his body just wouldn't accept it or they can treat it like they they will treat it obviously but if it the treatment doesn't always work and so in his case thankfully they they were able to treat it but it took quite a bit of um treatment to get there and he was quite swollen and he was very um uncomfortable and dealing with an infection at the same time so he was in the hospital probably read a month or a month and a half after his transplant when normally it's about five days to two weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was pretty scary, you know, to for him not to know what's going on and, and to see him in so much pain and, and discomfort and not really being able to do much for him. Um, but it took time. And, you know, the other piece to that is isolation because he's so immunocompromised post-transplant. Um, that he was in isolation for several months after that. And so you can also imagine like a three-year-old being um, mm -hmm. kept away and, you know, his siblings going in and out into school and all those types of things. So to try and keep as sterile as possible, mm -hmm. considering everything. But, you know, um, it passes. You, it's hard to remember, thankfully. You know, it's one of those things you, you go through it and in the mo time you go through the motions, but thankfully with time, you, you kind of forget some of those more difficult uh, points in time. Yeah. So um, you mentioned uh, your, his first transplant was with you. Um, there were more. Can yes. Speak on that? So he, um, he's now 27 years old and um, he just, we just celebrated his birthday. Um, and he had his third transplant last last winter uh, this week, actually. Um, so we're we're about to celebrate as his one year uh, anniversary for his kid third kidney, and we're very very thankful that he has been able to um, to do that because with every transplant, the likelihood of matching gets smaller and smaller and smaller because of your antibodies that you. Mm -hmm 
um, build. And so therefore your percentage of match becomes less and less with time. So, um, so we were anticipating a long wait time for, for the third transplant. And, um, you know, we're thankful that that was able to happen. And um, yeah, so he had his second transplant when he was in high school, he was 15 when he had his second transplant. And um, that one was actually a donor kidney. So it was not, um, it was not a a live kidney donor. Mm -hmm. He and, uh, and that one was also, you know, some complications as well, not as intense as the first time round, but, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like those milestones, those life milestones, you know, as a child, and then as a teenager, like at 15, it's a tough age to have to, mm-hmm. you know, deal with all these things. And at that point, there's some um, physical changes that happen with medication. And so there's, you know, that, that piece as well, uh, that, that we, we dealt with when he was 15 versus when he was a baby he may not have been as attentive to those things. Have there been any personal growth experiences resulting from your family's journey with organ transplant? I think so. I think um, I think there's a uh, on some level there's a sense of resiliency and and understanding that life isn't always as smooth as we want it to be. And I think we're we're a little more ready to react in those types of situations. Um, I think that, you know, for me personally, it led to my journey to become a nurse um, because I was not a nurse prior to that. So after his first transplant was actually when I when I made that decision to go back to school and, and to go into nursing. Um, but I also think that uh, now that we're, now that he's older, I think there's some reflection on, um, giving them the tools to be able to succeed independently. And and do we learn from that how we become maybe a little too careful or a little too protective as well? Um, because I'm sure that they're on some level, it defines them in, in a way. And that's not what I was hoping ever to to do, but I think mm-hmm. it, it naturally is just part of part of that process. And so there's some there's some learning and growth that happens, I think, in that as well. Um, how to become the individual that's not the illness, and how do you become the family that's not the illness, and treat that person in that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And you uh, have four children. I know that. I know you're proud of all four of them, but when you see him, you must be extra proud of him, right? I am very proud of him. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a very kind uh, individual. He has a heart of gold. He um, is a very talented musician and, um, you know, he's, he's a, he's very passionate about what he does and, and when he puts his mind to something, to doing it, you know, the best that he can do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. What support systems or resources did you find most helpful during during your tra- the time of the transplants and even after? So I think that uh, in the early days, um, Sick Kids Hospital was the biggest support. And I think, you know, 
we're fortunate to live in a, in Toronto and be close to such an incredible center. Um, the patient and family experience at SickKids is second to none. And um, I think that when I had an issue and, you know, there were a few times where it was just, just like, you just can't take do it anymore. Like the burnout is real. And there would be days where you just can't, you can't fathom all the things that you're, you're trying to deal with. And they were quick to pick up on that. And they were quick to sort of respond and, and make sure that they could, you know, support in any way that they could, whether it was through their social workers or through community supports. And at that time, I don't think the community supports were necessarily what they are today. And I'm, it's always great to see that things have come so far. Um, but I think there was also, we had a huge support from our community nurses as well through school as like they, they visited him at school a couple of times a day um, in, you know, for his most part of his elementary um, schooling and um and then at home because we had other medical needs that needed to be taken care of through nursing and then and physiotherapy and occupational therapy and we had all of those supports at home um i think you know family and friends for sure but in some cases it's a little hard because some of the needs were so technical that you couldn't always you can always pass that information on. So you might have really great family and friends support that might be able to just like watch or at least watch your other kids. You know what I mean? And, and then you can do the, those things that you needed to do. Um, you know, I was the only one trained in his dialysis. And so, you know, that was a bit of a critical time when he was doing his dialysis at home because there was nobody else that could do it. And um, I, in fact, had to go in for emergency surgery. And that was like, we had to, we had to admit him to the hospital so that I could go in for surgery because we just had no alternative. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we had the supports where we could. Is he part of any community, Miriam? Um, so Cream, uh, for most of his childhood, was actually involved with, um, with a kidney transplant, sorry, with a kidney foundation um, camp that he attended and, and then participated in for many years as a counselor himself. Um, and he's still connected uh, with a lot of his friends through camp and, um, and he's done organ donation awareness uh, information. He was also an ambassador for sick kids as well. So he's, he had done uh, when he was, when he was actually a patient there had also participated in a lot of um, uh, fundraising for sick kids as well. So, yeah. Um, is there anything you wish you had known better to be prepared? I mean, I don't think you're ever prepared for anything like that, right? No, I don't think you're ever prepared, but I always feel that we were, I, I'll never forget the very first day that I was uh, wheeled in a wheelchair from uh, Mount Sinai Hospital to SickKids Hospital for me to visit him because I had delivered at Mount Sinai Hospital and I was still admitted at the hospital and I hadn't seen him yet because they had taken him away. Like I I got, a, got to kiss him and that was it and he was gone. Mm -hmm. So it was 24 hours later before I actually was able to go see him at, at um, in the neonatal intensive care unit at uh, SickKids. 
And I remember being wheeled into the waiting room and looking all around me. It was a busy waiting room for some reason that day. And I just remember seeing so much sadness and devastation and crying. And, and I just kept looking around and I was like, I'm so thankful that I at least have some information that I'm not walking into this completely blinded. And so I, yes, you're never 100% prepared, but I think that the important part is to take the information, you know, work with it and then process as you need to, right? So that you can continue to move forward because it would have been so easy to be overwhelmed by everything. And for sure, there are turns on the road that you just don't know like where that's going to take you, but you learn really quickly how to be the advocate for your child and for yourself and to get the information that you need and to make sure that you're getting the care that you need and to get to continue to move forward. Yes, absolutely. Um, what advice do you have for other parents who may be navigating similar challenges as yours? I would say that um, take the time if you can to gather the information that you can speak to other people, parents, kids in the same boat. Um, you know, I've, I have participated myself in, in speaking to other new families with the, with kids that had my son's condition, um, especially his underlying condition, because it's a very rare condition. Um, and the sense of belonging that there, you're not the only one, um, is really important. And I think that, it's okay to be sad and it's okay to to grieve what you're about to go through because in reality that gives us some strength to be able to actually move forward and so i think that give yourself grace and allow yourself the space that you need to be able to find that strength to move forward and it's a learning process all the way through. Your child is, is just as much a resource as you are. And so work hand in hand and give them, give them that ability to be strong throughout the process. That's very beautiful, Miriam. Thank you so much for participating today. Thank you. If you've ever considered being a donor, please contact your local organ donation registry to explore how you can make a life-changing impact. Here in Canada, it's beadonor.ca. There you have it, Bloomers. As we conclude this episode, we extend our deepest gratitude to Miriam for sharing her personal journey. And we hope that this podcast has provided insight, encouragement, and solidarity to those navigating the complex landscape of organ transplantation. We'd love to hear your stories. Feel free to share your personal journeys in the comments or via our social media channel. Your stories inspire us and help us grow together as a community of bloomers. Stay tuned for more content. And until next time, keep blooming.